Hey, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get as seen by as many eyeballs as possible. You can also directly support Sex Talk as a super fan on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash sextalkwithericamiley. And for just the cost of a cup of coffee, y'all, you should know I love my coffee. <laughs> you help Sex Talk with editing, hosting, and getting the word out to others just like you. Help to spread curiosity about sex and keep the knowledge bombs dropping to everybody that has or wants to have sex. And a big thank you to those of you who've already become super fans. You're rock stars and I so appreciate you. That's patreon.com slash sex talk with Erica Miley. All right, let's get into the episode. Sex talk with Erica Miley Cause sexuality is tough and okay, sexist isn't good enough, no. Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. And I have somebody who I've had a Twitter crush on for a bit. This happens to me on Twitter a lot where I find another nerd and I'm just like, I'm going to comment on all your things and then we become friends. I brought you Alicia <laughs> Walker, Dr. Alicia Walker, author, researcher, professor or professi as I like to think about in Futurama. And we're going to talk about your book, Chasing Masculinity. I am so stoked to talk about this. So we're talking about the connection between the cultural understanding of masculinity and infidelity. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here. And the, tw the Twitter crush is totally mutual. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we're I'm just always like commenting and, and I can't, <laughs> I, we were talking about how Twitter is just, it feels probably because I've curated it the way that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. I, I can't deal with, and Facebook gods are going to probably hit me for this, but like I, Facebook's a dumpster fire anymore and Twitter seems to be my only saving place. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, not much time on Facebook. So yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so I, I really want to hear about how you arrived at the creation of this book and the, and the study that you did using the data that you got from Ashley Madison. And for those of you who do not know what Ashley Madison is, I'm sure Alicia can give you a primer a little bit on what Ashley Madison is. Absolutely. Okay. So this book is a long ongoing project. <laughs> it started when I was a graduate student. And I was curious about whether or not cheating made folks happier. Mm. Yeah. And so I thought, I'm just going to run a little pilot study. I'm just going to talk to like 20 people or something. Mm. And I couldn't figure out where to get my sample. Which that's always the issue, right? Where am I going to yes. get the sample? Where do these people come from? How do I find yeah. them? Yeah. How do mm -hmm. I find these people? And I did try a few things. They weren't very successful. You know, it's really difficult when you're trying to recruit a, a closeted community of folks. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to come out here and say like, yeah, I'm a cheater. Right. <laughs> you can't even put up flyers with a little pull tabs because nobody wants to be caught pulling the tab off of that flyer. So it, so for a while, it just kind of stalled because I really just, I couldn't figure out where to get my sample. And then I remembered that I had read an article in some women's magazine, I don't remember which one, about Ashley Madison. Mm -hmm. Ashley Madison is a website that specializes in folks who are married looking for other folks who are married to cheat. Now there mm -hmm. are single people on there, but the whole, the whole point of the website is to find someone to cheat with. Their motto is life is short, have an affair. 
Mm. And there are lots of people acting on that motto. They met lots and lots and lots of members. And so I reached out to them with really no expectation. I mean, I'm a peon, right? Right. Yeah, you're, would, you're, you're in graduate know. school. You're like, nah, I'm not getting nothing. Yeah. So I thought they're not even going to answer my email, right? So I sent the email and then I immediately start brainstorming other ideas because I think I'm not going to hear from them. Mm. The lovely people at Ashley Madison actually got right back to me. And it is amazing. (laughs) To this day, I'm amazed. I'm so amazed and so grateful to them. And they were awesome. And they said, hey, we can basically send out your recruitment call. We'll just email it out to members. So I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And so folks who were interested had a survey and then I did interviews. So folks who were interested in doing an interview just shot me an email and we got things set up. It's going to have a hell of an email list. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's how it, I'm saying yeah a lot because, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, I think I'm going to run this like little tiny study and mm-hmm. then, thank goodness, Ashley Madison agrees to help me. And then what I thought was going to be this little study like kind of turns into this big study, which is cool. That's awesome. And I got to talk to some really interesting folks who are extremely generous about sharing their lives and their experiences with me. And I'm very grateful to them as well. I could not have done this without them. And did I answer the question? Yes, you did. Oh, I mean, you gave us all of the pieces and the pictures that we needed to see here. And I think it's kind of, I mean, it, it, it is really not that all that surprising to me that at least people reached out to you once they had like the frame of which that mm-hmm. you were looking for. We as humans, this isn't a selfish thing. This is just, I think, our, I think this is how we've evolved. It's, our, it's telling our story to other people. Mm-hmm. That's how we gave information out for very, very, for millennia, right? Mm-hmm. Before the internet, before any of those things, before books and all of those things, we told our stories. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's good to hear that people still want to. I mean, that's what we do in therapy. Yes. I, I, I'm always struck by a female participant who said, we all need a witness to our lives. Yes. I think about yeah. that all the time, right? And she's so right. We do. We need I, I mean, that's the, like the primary job as a therapist is to bear right. witness. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm honored that I was able to to bear witness for these folks. And I'm honored that they trusted me enough to share. And yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about the, the data itself. How many participants did you end up with? So I ended up completing interviews with 46 women and 46 men. They're email interviews. And so you have, yeah. you have something that you don't get when you do face-to-face interviews, which is folks start an interview and then they just, they just vanish for who knows what reason. Right. But I completed 46 for the men and 46 for the women. And that's just kind of how it worked out. Mm-hmm. They were email interviews, but it's not like I send you a questionnaire. It's, that's not how it worked at all. It was very much a conversation. That's in the question and you respond. And then I have follow-up questions to that. And then finally we move on to the next question and so on. And so these interviews will take weeks. Some of them take months to complete. And I was concerned about it at first because I had done face-to-face interviews and had been really successful at that. And I thought, oh, this is going to transfer to email. But it did. And it worked great. And for the Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff that I'm looking at, these closeted behaviors, email is fabulous because... Mm -hmm. Lots of times a person will respond to your, your question and say, this is a great question. I need some time to think about it. Mm. And they may spend a few days formulating a response. They may start a draft and 
come back to it several times and they can edit what they're saying for clarity and all that. And so I really ended up with this extremely rich data set, which is fascinating. I'm hearing some amazing qualitative information here. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's really, it's really just a great way to collect data. I mean, I'm sure it's like anything else. And a lot of it depends on the skill of the, some folks are going to be better in person. Some are going to be better, et cetera. But for me, it has been a, a tremendous way to gather data. And I'm, I'm just very thankful for it. I, I think all the time about like, what if I had been trying to do this pre-email? How in the world yeah. would I have ever Oof. carried this? I don't, I don't think I could have. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it would, be, it would have been incredibly difficult. And I, I imagine that there was this, like you talking about the people getting to think through mm-hmm. these questions a different way. But there was also maybe a level of anonymity that provided a little less pressure oh, yeah. if we were to surmise and think about why that is. Oh, yeah. I mean, in therapy, like people will often take the things that we work on. We get our hour or hour and a half mm-hmm. a week and and they'll take those questions and they'll they'll let their brain work on it for a little mm-hmm. bit. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to let our brain chew on some stuff for a little bit. Absolutely. The person doesn't know in advance what you're going to ask them. So they don't necessarily have like a boom on the spot prepared answer. So they need time to kind of process it. Sometimes it's the stuff you're asking them. I've never, that's a great question, but I've never thought about it before. So yeah. Yeah. How did, so what, what did you ultimately find? What did, let's talk a little bit about masculinity and, and, and what you found in these, in this rich data. So masculinity is extremely fragile here in the United States. Mm. Um, Sometimes students get really upset when I say that in class. And what I mean by that is there's no moment where a man becomes masculine enough where he Mm. crosses the touchdown line and he spikes the football and somebody knights him. You, my friend, are masculine enough. You get what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? It's something you have to perform every single day. Every single day. And not that being a woman is easy, not that the burden of femininity is easy. I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that, but I don't feel pressure to perform that every single day to be sure that everyone is aware of the fact that I, I don't have that same kind of pressure. I think even in our performance of like, because masculinity and femininity aren't limited to what genitalia you have. Right. So like that performance expectation for those of us who have vulvas, it, the pressure is a is different. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say less, more or less, because our job here today is to talk about your book. We could be here all day on a whole nother t- t- <laughs> hour talking about that. But like, I personally don't feel the pressure, even though I tend to probably identify in that more masculine, at mm-hmm. least I was the tomboy growing up, right? Like, I, but I don't feel pressure to perform it. Right. Yes, exactly. In the United States, our expectations around masculinity are that men have to constantly perform that. They have to Mm. watch what they're doing. They're policed by everyone, other men, women, et cetera. And the hegemonic masculinity in the United States includes sexual prowess. He has to demonstrate his sexual prowess, right? He has to be great at sex. Can you clarify what hegemonic means? Sure. Hegemonic is the ideal version of masculinity because when we're talking about masculinity there's not it's not a single static entity right it's a it's a flexible entity there's a spectrum of it etc so we're talking about hegemonic we're talking about sort of that ideal performance of it right Mm -hmm. whatever that is for the particular cultural moment that we're in and that changes over time and place right and moves and how could you possibly get it just right if it moves and changes 
Exactly. How could you possibly? And so, yeah, so part of that is sexual prowess. Part of that is stoicism. We expect mm-hmm. men to not really like show a lot of emotion. I, I feel yeah. like they're allowed uh, anger and lust. Yeah. And that's like yeah. kind of it, right? Yeah, um, I tell my clients all the time, you're allowed stoicism, happiness in some form like humor mm-hmm. and anger. That's what you that's that's what you get. Those three. And mm-hmm. you have all the other feelings. Yeah. But what you're allowed to show are those three. Yeah. And that's very limiting if you think about it. Like you just stop and think for a second. If yeah. all, the only things that I can show are these things, like how how limited would my daily interactions is this exhausting to me? I can't even I can't even imagine. Yeah. And so all of that really comes to bear on these men's experiences. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of an outgrowth of that, if you will because masculinity is defined in its opposition to femininity, right? Mm -hmm. So part of our ideas about what femininity is include the idea of women as nurturers, right? We like to pretend women are naturally good at nurturing and they're naturally good at this and that, but in fact, we actually socialize them from a very young age, right? Like, where's your baby doll? Don't lose your baby. Take care of your baby, right? So we really groom women to come into marriage to nurture, but also to be what I call relational managers of the relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And so they have to manage not only their own feelings and the state of the relationship, like we need to talk and all those sorts of things and the household and all that stuff. They also need to help manage the emotional lives of their partners. Mm -hmm. And men expect that. And they don't think of that as like work because Mm -hmm. remember women are quote, naturally good at that, right? But women, of course, <laughs> feel that it is work to do this. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of sets up this kind of dynamic in a lot of marriages anyway. And that came out quite a bit in this book. So the pieces of this idea about sexual prowess defines defines mm-hmm. me as a masculine man. It validates my masculinity. And this idea that I genuinely need my female romantic partner to perform mm-hmm. this relational management for me Mm-hmm. because I can't do it myself. Now, at this point, a lot of people scoff and say, oh, stupid men, and they just need to man. Okay, well, let's back up a second. What have we done to men? We've said, yes. don't show any emotions, be this stoic person, and we haven't given them any tools, right? And exactly. What's that, saying? what's that saying? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yes. If I have no tools to manage my own feelings, and then I've been taught that this woman in my life you see how this all works, right? Yeah. So I, it's not, it's not like I oftentimes, and we're, we're kind of, we're sitting talking a, a very much about like the heterosexual kind of dynamic. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes people will think, well, what about women when, or what about men when we're having this conversation? It's what mm-hmm. about the other? And in right. reality, this is the cycle that both yep. are involved. And guess what? We're all been, we've all been here set up to fail. Yes. That is what this cultural understanding of what it means to be in quote, quotation marks, feminine or masculine. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. This is uh, so people who, because I've had so many people respond, even just me talking about the book with like um, sort of vilifying men kind of from the jump and like, well, this is just all men being stupid. And it's like, okay, that's a pretty simplistic way to look at it. And if you step mm-hmm. back and think about it, we're all complicit in the system. Like we didn't build it, but we're complicit in maintaining it, yes. right? And we police other people without necessarily even being conscious of doing that. Mm-hmm. And the men are just responding to the external stimuli in their lives. That's really mm-hmm. what's happening. So, you know, as easy as it is to 
write them off or discount how they're feeling or whatever, that's, that's just an oversimplified response to the data because you really have to put it into the context that they live in this specific socio-historical moment. Hey, quick break from the action. Sorry for interrupting y'all, but it's important to acknowledge that life has become seriously difficult for many of you these days with the world feeling chaotic. I mean, I don't know about you, but a pandemic sure did it for me. Uh, So many big feelings about all of it and the state of our world. It's impacted our daily lives. It's hindered us from planning and interrupted our mental and sexual health. I just want to take a minute to remind you that I'm not just a sex nerd. I'm a mental health therapist, and I have a team of other like-minded, badass therapists that are able to help you out. All my therapists are experienced and have been trained around sexuality, along with direct consultation with me if they need it. My mental health practice is completely online, so you can stay your butt at home and you don't have to park anywhere. It's really great that way. (laughs) With the lighter restrictions because of the pandemic, we're able to serve more people all over the United States and expats living all over the world and immigrants from all over the world. Just head to mentalandsexualhealth.com and sign up for a free consultation. I'm adding more highly trained therapists regularly, all comfortable with talking about sex. Again, that's mentalandsexualhealth.com. And ultimately, I, I kind of want to take that a little further. And this yeah. isn't to, this uh, this conversation isn't to minimize the experience of either or no. anybody along no. the gender spectrum. No, no, the no. conversation is specifically to understand that there are serious consequences mm-hmm. along this. Having worked with those who've committed sex crimes, this is a conversation I had with them all the time. Oh, I bet. Yeah. All the time. The half of my job was teaching them to feel any other feelings other than the three that you talked about. And then also helping them understand that they can't hand their emotional backpack to their partner, regardless of who it is. Right. Right. So, I I mean, how would you say, I mean, let's bring, we'll bring, bring this down to how we've kind of personally experienced this. Like, how has the study and really this information changed you and how you see maybe the men in your life? That's a good question. I'll be honest and say that over the several years that I've been working with this data, I kind of run the gamut (laughs) with how I felt about it. It's challenging to read these narratives and not think about the men in your life, right? Mm. I'm reading these Mm -hmm. accounts and very often they would say something that I'm like, I've heard that exact phrasing from a partner. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, so I think I haven't been cheated on. Have I actually been cheated on? So you go through that. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of vacillate back and forth between, well, goodness, have I, have I ever, <laughs> I ever given any man in my life enough validation and praise? Because that came up repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Just about every man in the study said, I'm sure you think you understand men, which is funny because no, I don't think that. They were like, I'm sure you think you understand men, but you have no idea that men need way more attention than you could possibly imagine that they actually need, Mm. which I thought it was great that they were so self-aware, you know, to be Mm. able to just put that on the table. But that really challenged me. I had to think about Mm. the fact like, well, do I give enough praise? Do I give enough? Well, am I doing that to anybody? Not just the men in my life? I I don't know. (laughs) When you're interviewing somebody about their relationship dynamics, all I'm getting is your, your perspective, right? Right. This is how you are experiencing what's happening. For you, this is the truth. Now, is that the actual truth of relationship? There's no possible way for me to know. I'd have to interview both partners. And even then, I may not 
really know, right? And so it's I could it's fun, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so I kept I kept having moments of pause of thinking, do their wives think that they are in fact giving them enough relational management and enough praise and enough validation and enough proof, if you will, of their masculinity. Do their wives think they're like doing this like bang up job, but the mm-hmm. men feel like they're withholding, they're purposefully withholding all of this from them, which the men interpret as, you don't care about me, right? You're withholding mm-hmm. this from me because you don't care about me. And so there's so many times where I just thought, this is so intensely sad because it's entirely possible that their partners think everything is great and they're doing mm-hmm. a great job and everybody's happy. And in reality, these men are so miserable and they don't feel like they're getting their needs met. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a great question because you can't, look at this kind of data, spend time with it like I have and not bring it back to yourself and think, am I falling down in ways that I don't realize that I am? Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? Would they tell me if I wasn't doing a good job? Because a lot of men really seem to feel like it was obvious to the primary partner that she wasn't doing what she was doing. I cannot tell you how many times I hear that from my clients, regardless of where they fall on the gender spectrum. Like they often will have there. It's that assumption, right? It's the assumption that you you can live in here in my head. Yeah. Or that you understand my communication as I'm giving it with, and that my perspective, you can see my perspective. When fundamentally we cannot, right. We cannot, another person's perspective unless we actually get more data. Right. So I was really struck by that repeatedly in these narratives. And I was also struck by the lack of autonomy that these men felt they had. Mm-hmm. So they genuinely felt that they could not voice sadness or concern yeah. or something along that spectrum unless their female partner probed them. They didn't feel like, so, you know, if you and I are talking and I say, Erica, I've been kind of down lately or I'm sad about this or I really wish this had happened or that, right? I I feel like Mm -hmm. I can just say that. They did not feel like they could say that. Mm -hmm. And when we talked about it more, it came up over and over and over. Men would say, well, my wife, my wife is too busy with her own life to notice a little sadness. And so they really expected her to like pick up on signals that I don't know how obvious these signals are, right? They may not have been obvious at all. And so to their oh, mind, yeah, to their mind. Even when I watched this happened with, with couples in yeah. my room, yeah. right? Like online, of course, but like, like when I'm watching them, mm-hmm. the expectation of what one small look, mm-hmm. a facial expression, a tone of voice. Yes. That they are that either one is expected. Well, you should just know. Yeah. And I hear that from all of them. And I'm like, what did? Okay, who? Which one of you fell into the Ninja Turtle ooze and are psychic? Did you get X Men powers? No, you did not. You need to use your words. Damn it! Right, but they don't feel like they have the agency to use their words. Yeah, and that was yeah. kind of heartbreaking, really. If you just kind of step out of a, a second and think. What if I genuinely really felt that I just could not voice my feelings unless my partner specifically probes Mm -hmm. me about them? How limiting is that? And how, how long could you go in a depression or a sadness or, or whatever, and nobody notice it enough to say something? Mm -hmm. So to me, that was like, that was just really powerful to me in thinking about like my own relationships with folks and how how many times have I maybe 
not picked up on someone's expression. And I didn't ask and they didn't feel like they could verbalize that to me unless I asked. And Mm -hmm. so that really got me. That really got me. And I thought, this is such a damaging dynamic. And it's obviously not that uncommon because every single man I talked to talked about it. Mm. And I thought, we've we've got to do something because this isn't healthy. Men talked about contemplating suicide. I mean, Mm. this was some... So I kind of get frustrated when people laugh about this project or Mm. trying to make light of it because we're talking about really serious stuff here. If someone's upset to the point where they they seriously contemplated suicide because of the dynamics, the unsatisfying dynamics in their primary partner partnership, you know, that's a problem. That's a real problem. Yeah. Therapy for everyone. Come on. Therapy for everyone. I, yes, absolutely. Therapy for, everyone. for all. And, and I wonder, I, I am curious, like how much when you were exploring this dynamic, how much would you hear from men about like their their struggle to express these emotion or even name them? Like, did they, did they seem to understand like, yeah, we kind of talked about these three they're allowed to have, right? Mm -hmm. Like, did they understand like that they were experiencing sadness? Did they understand that they were experiencing emotions other than those three we talked about? Oh yeah, absolutely. They understood they were experiencing them. They just really didn't feel like they could talk about them unless Mm -hmm. they were specifically asked. And that was something that they got from those outside partnerships. Yeah. And that was a big thing that they valued. When I said, why, why did you pursue an outside partnership? They were all, they all said sex, right? Mm-hmm. But then the next thing out of their mouth. So first it's sex, pause. And the very next thing out of their mouth is I needed someone to listen to me. I need someone to pay attention to me. I needed mm-hmm. someone to ask about my day. I needed someone to ask about my feelings. And so they're basically trying to like outsource this emotional intimacy or connection mm-hmm. that they feel like they're missing their primary partnership. They're trying to outsource that to a third party relationship that mm-hmm. is also sexual. So it's a sexual yeah. relationship, but that's not really even the part that if you're in therapy or something, you know, trying to, that's not even really the part you need to be concerned about. The thing you really need to be concerned about is the fact they're outsourcing all this emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. I do think that this, there is this fundamental it doesn't mean that we don't want sex for lots and lots of different reasons, right? Sure. But like sure. a majority of the myth that I hear is that men want sex for sex and that's all there is to it. When in reality, many of the couples, <laughs> regardless of orientation, they talk about this connection that they're missing or an mm-hmm. in- intimacy and physicality that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it is because many, many of my the my penis-owning clients talk a lot about like, they're, they've never been allowed to be emotional in any other place but sex. Yes. Yeah, they talked about that a lot too. They were really upset. So it was interesting dynamic. So a lot of them are in sexless marriages, right? That's not mm-hmm. a terrible surprise. Some of them were having sex in those primary partnerships. And some of the sex seemed like it was at least producing orgasm for their female partners. But the men were unhappy because the kind of sex they wanted was a different kind of sex, right? They wanted this like prolonged, sensual encounter that had all of this heightened emotional connection and intimacy and things like that. What we might call the girlfriend experience, for example. (laughs) And it was really fascinating because in the women's data, all but seven of those women, they were like, I'm cheating for sex. 
Specifically, I'm cheating for sexual satisfaction. I'm looking for orgasms. That's what this is about. So on Interesting. The surface, yeah. So on the surface, this looks like a gender difference, right? Mm-hmm. That's really not because all but the seven of those women had really emotionally satisfying primary partnerships. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're best friends and I respect them and I love them and they're a great partner and they're a great father yeah. and, and all this stuff, right? It's just the sexual piece that's missing, right? I mean, Esther them. Perel found a lot of the same things, right? Oh, like yeah, that, absolutely. That, that happy people cheat. Oh, absolutely. I interview a bunch of them. But mm-hmm. seven of those women were just like all of these men that I spoke to who said, I am having sex with my, my fair partner. Yes, we are absolutely having sex, but it's an emotional affair. And what I'm getting mm-hmm. from this is this emotional connection and this emotional intimacy and et cetera, et cetera. And what those seven women and all these men had in common was the dynamic of that primary partnership. Mm-hmm. So what what really we're looking at is the reason somebody's cheating, at least among this group of Ashley Madison folks, had to do with what was going on at home and what was missing at home and what you're specifically trying to outsource. So it wasn't like, oh, men are doing this and women are doing this. It's like people who are in primary partnerships where they don't feel like there's enough emotional intimacy, they're trying to get that in an affair. And people who are like, you know, my primary partnership is pretty awesome. I'm just not getting the kind of sex I need. Then they're going to cheat for sex. And of course, I always caution everybody to say, you cannot take folks who went online and purposefully set up a profile and vetted partners and all that kind of thing. You cannot take their experiences and extrapolate them to folks who spark up at the office or get something going with their neighbor, cheating Mm -hmm. in the wild, if you will, because those are totally different circumstances. Mm Mm-hmm opportunistic in at least in their frame um yes. Perel talks about that a lot in her yes. work the the opportunity arose and so that was the primary reason that right. the affair took place at all right versus these people who are literally creating an opportunity so i feel like that's just a very very different kind yeah. of dynamic that's why we got to have all the science. We got to have all the data. We got to figure it all out, right? Like, right. That's why we're, we're so nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> all the studies so you can get the full picture. Because, yeah, what I'm giving you, this is just one little slice, yeah. one little slice of the whole thing. That's it. So why do you think, what, what do you think the, the listeners should be questioning about their own understanding of masculinity? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to discover they've been cheated on, right? It's Oof. devastating, right? Yep. And yet we know that lots of people cheat. So mm-hmm. I think folks sometimes get very scared when they read my work and start <laughs> wondering about what's going on at home. You should be wondering about what's going on at home. I think what folks have to take from this work is to A, understand the expectations of, of masculinity in society and not just kind of wave them off and act like they're silly. And like really right. think about the fact that the men in your life are actually subject to those things, whether they want to be or they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And that we have to have conversations. We have to have real hard conversations with the folks in our lives. It's so easy to just think, well, everything seems good. I'm happy. They seem happy. So it's all good, right? My guess is that every partner of the, the people I talk to probably think everything is good at home too. Mm. so I think we have to have those those conversations and that can be tough right it can be tough to go to somebody and say hey do you feel like I'm giving you enough attention do you feel like I'm giving you enough praise do you feel like I'm in tuned enough to your emotional moods or however you want to phrase all of that that can be tough because the person we're risking that the person says no Mm. you're not doing a good enough job right and we don't want to hear that 
we struggle with the idea of taking the temperature of our relationship more than just once. Yeah. And that that oftentimes terms of a relationship will be renegotiated with or without our knowledge. Oh, absolutely. And that's not necessarily always intentional. Right. The, the, a relationship is like a living, breathing entity, much like we are. Yes. We have our inner self and our outer self and then that thing that we create together. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I think you're hitting on something really important that guess what? We're still raising children with these dynamics. Yes, we are. So we're still creating this dynamic today. This is not just a, we're reflecting on things of the past. It is that we are also still doing this. So I just am so glad that you and I have gotten to chat and listeners be ready for more because Alicia and I may very well be uh, trying to do research together. Yes, I'm going to hold you to that. We're going to do something together. We're fans of one another. So how do folks find you? How do they find the book? All of the things. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you can find me. Uh, I have a website, alicia-walker.com. I'm also on Twitter, of course, where we met, Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, on all those things. And there's links to all of that on my website as well. The book you can either find at my publisher, Paul Grave McMillan, or mm-hmm. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I've also heard it's on some other Canadian bookstore outlets that I've forgotten the name of, unfortunately. Yeah, so all the places that you buy the books, that's where the book is. Fantastic. It will be all in the show notes, people. Be ready. It, it is out now, right? This will air in December. So it is yes. already out by that point to, to future people in December. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> to future people in December. Yes, the book is out. Fantastic. I, I thank you so much for being with me today. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a good time. Awesome. Thank you folks for sticking around to the end and look for everything that Alicia's doing on the show notes. We'll make sure everything's there and on all the socials and we will see you next time.